Amen. Praise God. Glad to see y'all this morning. It's a beautiful day. Still a little toasty. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to our guest this morning. Welcome to our uh, morning worship. Glad to see all the missioners in the house this morning. Um, we're missing quite a few people. It's vacay time. You know how it go. On summer, I can't wait to have a vacation. Uh, waiting on Tony to get her act together. Oh, is she here? She's still here? Oh, Lord. I thought you were back to the children's church already. <laughs> oh, what I meant to say was you are an excellent uh, family planner around our vacations and just waiting for you to give the call to action, you know. So, amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Well, we love y'all. Uh, love you, Tony. We're continuing our series, Revive All. Uh, Pastor Dustin kicked us off last week. I'm really excited about it, um, me personally. It's just been a time for me personally to reflect on some things uh, in, my, in, relationship, in my relationship with Christ. Uh, and I hope so for you as well. Um, Pastor Dustin talked about all last week, A-W-E. He talked about revive all. And so today we're going to talk about revive one thing. We've been talking about revive all, but to, this morning we're going to talk about revive one thing. And if you could turn with me to our text this morning, it would be Psalm 27. going to read this, then we're going to jump right into what we need to do. I'll, I'll only be reading this morning uh, Psalms, well, a couple other passages, but our main passage this morning will be Psalm 27, verses 1 through 4, and I'll be reading from the NIV version of the Scriptures translation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Amen. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear the war break out against me. Even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his holy temple. Amen. God's word for God's people. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, God. We thank you for the people of God. God, we thank you for all the missioners that are in the house this morning, God. We pray that you continue to bless them, oh God, to revive them in their souls and their spirits, God, that you will consider to uh, 
just fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit, God, to give an even deeper hunger and desire for your presence and your word, God. Let this word, oh God, that you have to say, God, will speak life to all of us present here this morning. God, you speak, oh God, to your people, Lord. God, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. God haunts me. <laughs> I know you don't usually hear the word haunt in church, right? You know, it's something that's usually relegated or just, you know, that you hear about in horror movies or, 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 or novels or sci-fi movies or whatever, right? You never hear the word haunt in church sometimes unless you go to another church that is not afraid to use different words to express the point. Um, but haunt means like, like it won't stop. That's what I mean by that, right? Now, here's the thing about me. You know, I've talked about this before. Um, I'm God-haunted. I wasn't raised in a religious household or a spiritual home. My grandmother would take me to church every once in a while. My parents were not very uh, spiritual people. They were not church-going people. And so I grew up, you know, pretty much, you know, to use the King James language, and I don't really believe in using this language to refer to people who do not share my faith, but I always talk about myself this way. You know, I was a straight-up heathen. <laughs> Y'all can laugh. It's okay. I mean that in a funny way. Uh, but I don't use that. But actually, you know, it's funny. I actually meet Christians, and I eat preachers, street preachers, that refer to people who don't share their Christian faith. They still call people heathens. And I was just like, you really do that? Like, you call people that you that don't believe what you believe. You still call them heathens. Like, you realize that like, that's 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 not really a cool term. It means a whole bunch of a whole bunch of other things. But I was one of those people that was a heathen. Didn't believe in God. Didn't experience all this until um, later on in my life. In my when I was 20 years old, I would come to faith. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting, and I'm telling this because uh, when we're talking about revival, I have to be honest with you, and it's going to sound crazy because I became a Christian in the Northwest, right, around Seattle area. If you've ever been to Seattle in the Puget Sound area in a small church where most of the people in the community and in the city, and in that region, we're not Christians. Now, this may sound strange to many of you living in the Bible Belt. If you never lived outside the Bible Belt, you know what I'm talking about, where a lot of people are, are non-Christians. And so church is a little different, right? I mean, because you live in a, in, a, in, a, in a community where, you know, I have friends who are Wiccan and, you know, uh, Muslim and Buddhist and like, just as much as, or even more so than there were Christians. Like, you know, I talked about this before. Like, you know, the cable access channel here, when you turn to the cable access channel, it never fails that it's usually some old dude or some uh, older lady with, with uh, 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 a Bible on the, on the dining room table with some odd plant behind them just going off preaching the scriptures. You know, right? You ever seen that? Tom Warner cable, you turn to the cable access channel, some strange, weird, like, preacher that's going off on people. You know, that's how cable access is here. But see, when I was up in Seattle, you turn to cable access, you would see somebody playing, praying to a tree, right, or doing Buddhist chant. 
Like, you wouldn't see that here. So I didn't grow up in a very, I didn't become a Christian. Not only did I not grow up in a very religious home, but I became a Christian. I didn't become a Christian in a, in a community, in an in a area, in an environment that was overly churched. And so it was strange when I came back to North Carolina as an adult, as I, as I got older, as I got deeper into my faith, coming here is like everybody's a Christian. Like everybody goes to church for the most part. Everybody's churched. And, and Tony would tell you, this, there's instances like, you know, as I began to engage ministry here, like I didn't grow up with all the church songs that a lot of people grew up with here. So, like, I remember I started hanging out with the Baptists a little bit when I first moved here, and I got invited to this occasion. Uh, they were recognizing a, good, a dear friend of mine's father, Pastor uh, Paul Jones Sr., uh, for his many years of ministry. He, uh, he was Pastor Emeritus at New Zion Baptist Church. And so they had all the preachers go up to sing these songs, and I was just like, and me, you know, I'm like, man, not wanting to look stupid, I just started lip syncing. <laughs> right? I was like Millie Vanilli to some old church songs. And Tony caught it, like, you didn't sing no song. You didn't want to sing no song. You were lip syncing. I was like, I didn't know. Like, I heard, when they say God, I say God. And when they say Jesus, Jesus. But all the other stuff in between, I didn't know because I wasn't raised in that kind of church environment. And so I have a confession to make. I never went to a revival until I moved to North Carolina. I had been a Christian for many years. Had been a pastor, a minister, well-versed in theology and scripture and church history and, and ministry. And I never experienced revival until I came to actually Salisbury, to be honest with you. It blew me away. I was like, wow. At first, I was like, this is really cool. It was like, you know, going to Europe somewhere or Africa in a cave, you find some ancient artifact that people talked about for thousands of years. And it's like, wow, people still do this. This is so cool. Oh, man. Revival. So I was like, man, this is all right, man. This is like going and jumping into a, a spiritual time machine and going back. I was like, and my wife looked at me like, what? We do this all the time. Like, this is a part of the culture of this place. It's like, I don't think it's bad. I just think it's really cool. It's just like old stuff. Like, people do, did this back 200 years ago. They're still doing exactly the same way <laughs> that they did over 150 years ago with the Great Awakenings with Charles Finney and uh, the other Great Awakenings that happened with early part of Billy Sunday and the beginnings of, of, of Billy Graham, right, the revivals of old. So I knew the history. I knew how they did it. It was funny. I would sit down and talk to pastors about it. And I was like, man, it's really cool. Y'all still do it like they did back in the day. Charles Finney and Billy Sunday and the altar call and the revival and the preacher and the, the revivalists would travel around and all that. And they're like, that's the history? Yeah. And also revivals, but there's that's one part of the revival that y'all don't do. And I was like, well, what is that? Well, when Charles Finney would have revivals, he would have the revivalists come, call people to Christ, preach the powerful. The revivalists would preach a soul-stirring message, right? Y'all been to revivals, right? Some one day, some three days, some five-day revivals. I don't understand that, but, hey, that's all good, right? And so 
And I was like, yeah, but the second half of the revival, Charles Finney would ask people, now that you've accepted Christ, will you now join the abolitionist movement to free people from slavery? What? Yeah, that was, that was part of revival culture when it first started in the South. Y'all don't, y'all don't ask people to join into liberation after they've met Christ, after they've been revived in their spirit, after the Holy Spirit has taken a hold of them, finally has their attention? Are you directing them to the attention that God wants to bring them to, to justice and liberation and love and freedom in this community? No. Y'all don't miss the history. So sometimes it pays to know a little history. I said, y'all thought revival was just about getting excited? It is that. But supposed revival is about being revived. But remember, I remember something, though. I remember when when I first received life, the life of God into myself, when I became, I should say, more aware of the life and presence of God in my life. And so sometimes Christians, we have to get the language right when we're talking about these kinds of things. It's less about God coming to us because God is present to everybody because there's no place in the universe where God is absent. There's no place in the universe where God is on vacay. What we, often ex- what we often experience is either God's manifest presence or God's presence hidden. So when we're dealing with people, that's why I get, I, get, mm, I started gripping my teeth. We've been saying, we're going to take Jesus to the people. We're going to take God to the hood. We're going to take God to the streets, the highways and byways. No, no, our job is to go to the highways and byways and alert people to God's already presence in those places. We don't take God anywhere. God is already here. Our job is just to alert people. So I remember when I became aware of God's presence in my own life, and I realized that it was, had something to do with Jesus. And I remember how my heart was captured by the Holy Spirit. Y'all remember that? Some of you have had this where it became real for you, where it was not just religious habit, where it was not just family tradition, where you went to church or you may have been at work at the lunch room, the break room, or you might have been out in the town with some friends, and then it finally hit you that this is real, that there is a God, that God somehow is real and present in your life, and God is beckoning to you and calling to you that, my God, this is real. You remember that. Personally, even when I had that at own, my own personal experience with the Lord, January 2nd, 1994, even though I had experienced the beauty of the Lord, it was still the idea of God that I struggled with. <laughs> That's why I say I'm God-haunted. Trust me. I've tried every way. I tried every way, y'all, 
to get rid of the idea of God in my own life over the period of my life as a follower of Jesus. Like, this does not make sense, the idea of God. I've tried so many ways. I read philosophy and psychology and, you know, I just try to figure out how this idea of God is absurd. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense given the tragedy in the world and how good people are trampled upon and how babies are killed or how people are oppressed or how slaves are oppressed, my own people and how they were enslaved. This idea of God does not make sense to me. I try to, I struggle with it, but even in the midst of my ideological or my philosophical struggle with the idea of God, God's spirit still haunted me. You can struggle with the idea of God, but God will still haunt you. God will still be present in your life, even when it don't make sense. So at some point, it became real to me. This God, the God of Scripture, the God of Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we all have similar stories. We all grew up. We are mentally impacted by the idea of God, but it is the very beauty of the presence of the Lord that impacts all of our being. So you might have struggled with the idea of God. The idea of a God may impact your mental state, but it's actually the very presence and beauty of the Lord that impacts all of who you are. Your spirit, soul, mind, and body We all have similar stories. Whether you're raised in a religious home, church going home, where you had to be drug out of bed on Sunday morning, or you went to church because your parents or caregivers made you go, but it wasn't something real for you yet. And many of you are probably past that point, though. You did that thing, right? You went to church, and you're probably one of those exceptional young people that caught, that God got caught, God caught them at an early age, and this became real for you at an early age, but some of you may be like me, like, you, you, well, I didn't get drugged to church. Some of y'all probably got drugged to church. I didn't get drugged to church. That's why I probably like church, <laughs> right? Some people don't like church because they got drugged to church. Uh, but, um, at some point, it became real to you. I'm not talking about church, per se. I'm talking about God. In our passage this morning, David, go back to verse 4, Psalm 27, verse 4. David says, one thing I ask from the Lord this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So one of the things about revival or revive all, not only are we encouraged like Dustin encouraged us last week to understand that awe has to happen, A-W-E, awe that you are standing in the presence of a reality 
that is way bigger and greater, but also closer and closest to yourself than your own. Isn't that interesting? That God is a reality, a person who is bigger than anything that you can imagine, but also closest than any other reality, even to your own self. Theologians call that the transcendence and the eminence of God. God is eminent in a way that no other reality can be. God is closer to us than even our own selves, closer to us than our own friends, closer to us than those friends that will die for you, that those who know you the deepest. God is closest to us and knows more about us, has more intimate understanding than us, than any other human being, any other presence that is in this creation. David gets into worship and he begins to talk about what God has been and what his circumstance and how his enemies and how things have come against him, how even things that were set out to destroy him, how he will not fear, how he still maintains courage. But even, even, even in the midst of all that, he says that he, as he enters into the temple, he said, but there's one thing, though, that I want to ask. And he says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. So when we're talking about revival or revival, we're talking about awe. God, give me some awe-filled moments in my life. God, teach me how to have awe towards you. But also teach me to ask for the one thing. Lord, revive one thing in my life. And he says this, which I think is interesting. Verse 4, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. I found that to be an interesting phrase the thing that David wants he asks God for then he says I'm seeking after that <laughs> he's seeking after the thing that God that he wants God to give him we seek after God to find the one thing we're asking for. <laughs> it seems self-referential to me. It seems a little bit self-centered. God, give me what I want, and I'm going to go after what I ask you for. <laughs> I have a dear friend of mine. He's on the edges of he's on the fence of faith or the edges of faith. He's not bought in, you know, he's watched way too many hidden color videos. I love hidden color, but they they get some of that about Jesus. It's a little bit wrong. You know, I had to sit down and talk to a couple of my conscientious brothers about something. I'm like, you know, Jesus was here before slavery, right? You know. He was here before America. Hidden colors, you know. You know, Christianity didn't start in the seventeen hundreds in America. Anyway, I'm sorry, I had to, had to go there. 
But I get it. I understand, you know, we need to be decolonized of, you know, certain kinds of Christianity. But discussion that we had was about, and this is, this is like his apologetic, right, his, his defense against why he should even believe, why he should even give it uh, Christianity a taste. Well, man, Jesus said, pray for whatever you want, you'll get it. Well, I prayed that. I said, well, what exactly did you pray? Well, you know, I had stole some stuff, and I got arrested, and I got put in jail. And while I was in jail, I asked God to free me. And I prayed that God would let me out of jail. And I said, well, what happened? Well, I didn't, I didn't get out of jail. I was like, well, uh, you broke the law. <laughs> you stole somebody other stuff, right? You admitted your crime, so you actually did so. It wasn't like you was innocent, right? You know, you, you, justice was served. I said, what Jesus got to do with that, right? He says it right there. I said, yeah, but you don't understand what he says about it. He says, if you ask anything in my name, let me clarify something, Americans. When Jesus says stuff like that, he's not saying pray whatever your consumer desire is and how you've been socialized by free market capitalism into wanting everything, every single thing under the sun on sale. Jesus is not saying that. He's saying that I want you to ask from a heart that has been shaped and profoundly molded by the very presence and counsel of heaven. See, there's a difference between a desire that has been shaped and molded by the culture around you in this consumer commodification kind of culture that we live in and a desire that has been touched and redirected by heaven. Does that make sense? So when Jesus says, ask for anything in my name and character with and step with in the direction in which my name will take you and what all my name represents. When you ask for those things in my name, they will happen. <laughs> so it is in this, I believe some of this is here with David. When David says, Lord, there is one thing that I ask of you. And the one thing that I will seek to find, and that's what that word seek there does not mean just aimlessly looking for something. But when he says to seek, it literally means to look after something so as to find it. It means to be eager, desiring. Engage in a serious investigation until you find it. It means searching. It is to seek, to find. So this is not nebulous. This is not ambiguous. This is not lacking any clarity. David is straight up saying that, God, there are, there are desires. There are things, God, that you have placed inside of me. And, God, I'm asking for those, at least one of those things. And I'm going all out, investigating, searching, looking for it until I get it.
Do you seek it until you get it? Or do you just ask? (laughs) Oh, man. Or do you just ask? Hmm. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Because there's something powerful that happens, that transacts when God gives you something to ask for. (laughs) Mm. Because when God gives you the one thing to ask for, he doesn't just want you to ask for it. He wants you to seek after it. What is that one thing. If God revived that one thing, what is that thing? What is that thing? What is that in this season of your life right now? What is the one thing that you can name that God has given you to ask for and to seek after? I can't answer that for you. But I do believe this, though. I suspect That if you learn, and if you do, stand in awe of God. If you find the place where you can engage God, where you can find that awe-filled moment, I believe that God will give into you, deposit into you to reveal inside of you the one thing that you should be asking for. What is that one thing? Pastor Anthony, that's that's, kind of easy to say. I've actually may have been doing that. But this other thing, though, not only does David ask for uh, the thing that he wants to seek after, David asks for and seeks after the thing in a specific place. So it's not just enough to just ask God for something and then to seek for it, it's also about the place in which you stand when you ask. Is it a place of selfishness? Is it a place of jealousy? Is it a place of revenge? Or is it a place that God inhabits and reveals? David is in the temple. My God. He says, I I, I seek you I, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. The place that you ask is very important. The place from which you begin seeking is very important. The temple was in Jewish belief, in ancient Israel, the place, the, the you know, if I was a, you know, David had a Stargate. Y'all ever watched Stargate 1? Any Stargate 1 fans here? What? Star- That's what's up, bro. Right. So I guess I got to explain what Stargate is. It's really cool. 
So anyway, the humans on earth, they find this, this metal gate, like a circle, a big metal circle. And when you put in the right codes, it gains you access into another dimension, another part of the universe. Right? You literally walk through this wall, and it looks like water. And when you walk through it, <clears throat> you're actually in another part of the galaxy or in another galaxy or maybe another dimension. That's how the ancient Jews saw the temple, not in a Stargate kind of way, but they saw the temple as a portal, a place where heaven resides, where it was the way that you would gain access to this deeper, more powerful, more present, more heavier reality called heaven, where God abides, where the abode of God is. The temple was seen, even the most holy of holies in the temple, the temple was seen and going into the holy of holies It was like literally entering into the bedroom chamber of God and throne room and chamber room of God in the most centered place. And so the temple was seen as a place where heaven and earth literally met. That's why you couldn't just do anything when you walked into the temple, the most holiest of places in the Jewish mind. That's why, you know, when the priests would go in once a year to offer atonement for the sins of Israel, they would tie a rope around the priest, and he had little bells on the the bottom of his robe, and they would tie a rope, and the other priests would, like, send him in. And if the priest wasn't right, if he was living in sin, according to the scriptures, he would literally die in the holy presence of God if he wasn't right. And so they knew he would fall over when they heard a clank, clank, clank. Lord is pulling in. Let's get him out, y'all. Let's get him out. Who's next? So the temple is this holiest of place, this place where God meets uh, Israel, the, the priest, the high priest. It's where God lives. It's God's house. Unfortunately, in much of American Christianity, we, make, we take that kind of idea and we just completely translate it to our present moment where the only God place where God can meet us is in the church house. When Jesus clearly said, what? Where two or three are gathered, what? In my name, I'm what? Present. That was very subversive back in the day. Because you just didn't say that. You just didn't say as a Jew, God is present everywhere. God can manifest God's presence in his most fullest sense anywhere. And a Jew would say, no, no, no. God's presence is most fully manifest in the temple. But Jesus says, wherever my name is lifted up, where I am, wherever I am invoked, wherever a group of folk, a handful of people invoke my name and, and, they, and they focus on me and they pay attention to me and what I've said and what I've taught and who I am, I am powerfully present in there with them like I am in any other place. That's why we pray in his name. It's not like abracadabra or something or throwing chicken bones. It's invoking the very presence of the one who's already present. 
So we see David intentionally engaging these places, the temple of God. So I'm asking you this morning, not only what is the one thing that the Lord wants you to ask and are you seeking after it, I want to ask you this morning, what place or places will you seek the Lord intentionally? Will it be in the intentional place like David to seek the Lord's presence? What would it, what would it be, though, if we were to seek after one thing this week? What would it look like if we as a community, if we sought one thing this week? I have an assignment for you this morning. How many of y'all got post-its? Everybody got post-its? Give me a little post-its. I want you to grab that post-it. At the top of that post-it, I want you to write, revive one thing. And under that, I want you to write what that is. What you feel the Lord is saying in this hour. Get that posted. Revive one thing, Lord. I want you to write it down. What is the one thing you feel that God is wanting you to ask for and to seek after? That one thing at least. You can write as many as you want, but at least write one thing. I always tell people, start with one thing. You start with a whole bunch of other things, you're not going to get anything. <laughs> right? I've had to learn this. You know, I had to simplify my life. I'm not a very good, um, what's that when the people do a whole bunch of things at one time? Multitask. Yeah, that's that word. See, I can't even think of the word. That's how bad I am. That shit is not good for your brain, actually, the multitask we're finding out. But I'm, I'm going to leave that alone. Because some of y'all, your very livelihoods, depending upon your ability to multitask. So some of you just may be counterintuitive. I don't have a list of many things. Just that one thing that the Lord What do I mean by this? This week, I want you to have spiritual tunnel vision. Tunnel vision. We put that pick up of the tunnel. Yeah. Oh, there we go. There we go. I think a lot of times we don't have spiritual breakthrough or transformation. Because we don't know how to focus on that one thing that God wants us to do in our lives that we should be seeking after. We think there has to be a whole bunch of different things. If that means just rearranging your life a little bit this week, I want you to have that spiritual tunnel vision. I want you to pray, God, revive that one thing in me that you want me to seek after. What is that one thing? For me personally, just just to give you an example, I sought the Lord myself personally for myself and also praying for my my family 
the one thing that I am seeking this week are words from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And this is a passage that came to me as I was thinking. I'm just giving you an example of how this may work. It may not work for you. You may come at this a different way. But the passage came to me as I was thinking. I said, Lord, there's one thing that I want, Lord. There's one thing that I desire that I want to seek after this week. And not only for this week before the season until you let up on it. You know what I mean by that, right? How the Lord emphasizes something. He leans in. And he kind of like forces the issue and he kind of stays there. And then, you know, when he kind of lets up on it. (laughs) Jesus says, the words that I speak, they are life. John 6, 63 says, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. And. The very words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. So for me, the one thing, this may be your one thing too, but the one thing that I'm asking for this week from the Lord is, Lord, just speak to me in only the way that you can. It don't have to be audible words. It could be anything. And people say, well, pastor, how do you know when it's the Lord speaking? You will know. It's like good art. You know it when you see it. Revive one thing, whatever that is. Seek after it. That means you got to Google it. Go to the library. Talk to how many other people. Whatever you got to do, search the scriptures. Pull out your concordance. Whatever it is, look through your old journal notes. Remember way back when you wrote that list of spiritual goals that you had? Go back and look at those notes that you had. Some of you wrote this down. You see some of y'all, y'all wrote a journal, and you wrote down like four or five things spiritually that you would like to see happen in your life, but you've forgotten about it. And the Lord's saying, revisit that. Let one of those things be that one thing this week. If it's sharing the love of Christ to other people, let that be your one thing. If it's to invite people to church, let that be your one thing. Amen. Let that be your one thing. Amen. Invite people to church. That's okay. That's good to invite people to church. And, you know, you buy them to the mission house too. But one thing. And for me, it was the words, some word from Jesus. And as I was this morning, as I was praying and I was seeking God and I was just thinking about the message this morning. And I just heard these words and and it blessed me because I got something right. It was like and it was so simple and it was like with slang. And I felt and I believe I heard the spirit say to me, I got some words for you. I can hear the Lord saying to you, I got something for you. I got one thing for you. But I need you to seek it. 
I got one thing for you, but I need you to seek it. I don't want you to just ask for it, but when I reveal it, I want you to seek it with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Lord God, we pray. God, revive one thing in us. God, revive all in us. God, God, remind us, reveal to us how big and how beautiful and how powerful you are in our lives, God, but also how you love us, God, so deeply and so powerful, God, that you will love us so much that you will even give us things to even ask for. God, we consider ourselves blessed. that we can even ask. But God, grace your people with the power and the boldness and the stick to it. I can't think of the word, Lord. Stick to itiveness to seek after the thing, that one thing. God, let us be crazy bold to seek after that one thing, Lord. If we had to break down barriers, if we had to bless other people, if we had to forgive other people, God, let it be so. If we had to stand in the presence, in the face of demons to get the one thing, God, let it be so. But God, let us be like David. That when the joy of the Lord, when your presence hit him, he leaped over a troop, God. He leaped over his obstacles, God. He leaped over the devil, God. Lord, give us grace, God. Give us power to seek after the one thing. This week, and as a pastor of this church, one of the pastors of this church, God, I pray that we will hear stories of the one thing that we will hear reports of the one thing, Lord. Father, your word says that if we seek, we shall find. If we knock, the door will be open. God, we thank you for all these things. God, we thank you for the one thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God.